This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Matt Addison, your host once more with Guy Clark still away. We have absolutely loads to get into at the end of the week that saw Jordan Henderson lift the Premier League trophy aloft. The Liverpool captain's week got even better today as he picked up the FWA Player of the Season award. And to discuss both of those events, plus Dejan Lovren, Chelsea, Pep Guardiola, Jürgen pre-Newcastle press conference, Adam Lallana, the dates for the new Premier League season and plenty more. I have alongside me for this episode of the podcast, our Liverpool correspondent, both home and away, Paul Gorst, plus Echo writers, Connor Dunn and Dan Kay. Gentlemen, while I get my breath back, how are we all getting on? I'm okay, Sam, but the thing I'm worried about is the fact that you said, and plenty more at the end of that list. <laughs> not sure we can fit in anymore, to be honest. Good run yeah, into next season, isn't it? <laughs> it's going to be a big one, but yeah, I'm all good as well. Excellent stuff. As I mentioned, absolutely loads to get through here on the Blood Red podcast. But I think it's safe to say there's only one place we can begin. That is with Jordan Henderson lifting that Premier League trophy on Wednesday night. Just two days ago, I don't know about you guys, but to me it feels like much longer. Lots has happened since then. But Paul, you were there inside Anfield for that special moment. Very fortunate to be one of the few people inside the stadium. Talk us through what that was like. Well, it was a privilege. I mean, there was only 500 people there and before the game. We thought there was going to be even less, didn't we? Because obviously the families were given special dispensation at the 11th hour to, to kind of allow them in and, and enjoy it. And it was, it was, I must admit, I was a little bit concerned and a bit worried about, about it being a little bit of an anticlimax and it being a little bit flat because there was no one there to, to basically cheer the moment that they lifted the trophy. But... Uh, full credit to the club because they made it an absolutely fantastic spectacle. Um thought it was spectacular actually the way they did it with the, the stage on the cop and the firework display from all angles of Anfield, the DJ with the tunes and then the way they kind of had like the record scratch and then went into You'll Never Walk Alone was really, really huge moments and it was, it was a, a privilege and, and an honour to be there and uh, something to sell the grandkids to be honest because if you think Years to come when they talk about Liverpool winning the first league title in 30 years and no one's there to see it except for 500 people, which includes the, the, the team. So um, very lucky, very lucky boy to, to be there and, and I, I know that. And I was actually thinking that as it was happening, uh, I'd kind of say, oh, have I ended up bluffing my way to, to this? But yeah, it was it was <clears throat> spectacular and um, I didn't think it would be as good as it was. So I've got hundreds of videos on my phone, which I'm going to, um, sent to myself and I'll keep them for years and years because it was a, a, a great night. Yeah, a moment to, to savour. Dan, I believe you were watching on the television from a, a pub. What did you make of the, the scenes at the end? It was a special night, wasn't it? I mean, it was always going to be for, for supporters, you know, who, who've been going for a long time. I mean, I'm of, a, I'm of an age where I can, you know, just about remember the last title win and pretty much my entire adolescence and adult life as a supporter as well as a journalist has been, you know, driven by this yearning to see Liverpool lift the title. I think the fact that we've all had a long time to get our heads around the fact that we wouldn't be there. And as Gorsi said, I think the way it was handled, the way the it was engineered, the spectacle that they put on, I think they really made the absolute very best out of an unfortunate situation. You know, when Jurgen Klopp said when he was interviewed after the lift, you know, it, it was, you know, this wasn't the way we wanted it to be. 
but the situation was out of our hands and I think there was a real sense of history. I think the the presence of Kenny Dalgleish there, I think it, it was great that they got him involved. Obviously, we didn't actually directly hand it to it because of distancing it was, but but he handed the medals over and the fact that he was obviously the manager of Liverpool the last time we won it, uh, he's such a kind of, such an iconic figure within the history of the club. He kind of provided that link almost between 1990 and, and, and 2020. Personally, I, w- I was very grateful, you know, particularly to my bosses, that, that I wasn't working that night. I was working the night that Chelsea beat Man City. And even though, you know, professionally, it was an incredible thing to be part of. I was glad I kind of, in some ways, I've had the best of both worlds with these, both worlds with these two events. So you know, I actually had a few mates going, have you not managed to blag yourself a press pass? And in all honesty, I mean, I haven't covered a game in the ground for about six years anyway, but I wouldn't have wanted to, to be honest. I think, you know, the next best thing as far as I was concerned, if I couldn't be in in my normal seat in a full house, I would rather be with me mates, being able to have a drink or nine and enjoy the event for for what it was. So it was was a special night. I'm still a little bit... (laughs) Just well, this time yesterday, I was I was in the right state. Um, um, it, I'm, I think we're all still coming to terms with it. I think it'll it'll probably be a few. I think it, I think it's going to be little things like you know the start of match of the day next season, the opening credits when you see Jordan Henderson with the trophy week after week. It's going to be a gradual process of it kicking in, and it's it's a it's a nice slow burner. Yeah, definitely. As you say, a, a moment to, to savour for a long time. And, and finally, Connor, where were you when the celebrations begun and, and how much did it mean to you? Yeah, I was at Live Blog regular Theo Squire's house, um, just enjoying it. Um, yeah, it was obviously massive. Um, I've followed Liverpool since I was four years old, much to the non-bemusement of all my family. Um, but yeah, I thought, you know, as the boys have said, spectacular. You couldn't have wished for anything better the way they did it. So it was done with um, all of the messages from fans on the confetti, with the Ohm Vey laser that came out, the fans putting food banks lasers that came out. I just thought everything they did was right on point, the perfect spectacle. And they had an opportunity, I've said on the podcast before, they had an opportunity to do something spectacular and they really, really delivered. I thought everything they did that night, I don't think they could have done it any, any more. Getting the families in at the last moment obviously made that really special for them. Finishing it on the 96 points, obviously another poignant moment. It just, everything just seemed to come together for that one final, you know, this is incredible. And as Dan said, it's going to take a little while to sink in properly, but really, really special. Yeah, as near perfect as it could have been without fans inside Anfield, I'm sure we'll all agree on that. But moving on a little bit then, one player who looks to have made his last Liverpool appearance at Anfield now is Dejan Lovren, an unused substitute against Chelsea. He has played his part, though, over the last couple of seasons. And Gorsty, there's a transfer update involving him and you've got the details. Yeah, so it looks like he's on his way to Zenit St. Petersburg in Russia. They've agreed that... A fee of around 12, 12 million euros, which comes in just under 11 million, I think it was 10.9. And um, barring any late hiccup or hitches, he's going to be a Zenit player and, and Liverpool are going to pocket a little bit of money and they're going to be a defender down. So, what happens next from an incoming perspective is going to be interesting because Liverpool can't go into next season with just three fit centre backs. We've seen how much, um, how much it's affected Manchester City not having, you know, you've, you've, you've top centre backs fit and firing for the full season so for me Liverpool will need another one but Lovren looks like he's on his way and good luck to him I mean he's fallen well down the pecking order hasn't he behind Matip and Gomez and Van Dijk and 
amongst some fact we've talked about them loads of times and I know Dan's got the the Scouse uh, the Scouse Harpy line ready for, for Lovren but he's made nearly two hundred appearances and and when he's when he has played well it, it just gets overlooked or it gets ignored. You know, I think of Manchester City at home this season. He played in that game and I, I think off the top of people's heads a lot of people wouldn't know that. You know, he, he he's never been a fan favourite, but I think there's been a tendency to kind of magnify the, the errors because when they have come they've always been high profile and kind of Glenn, so that kind of counted against them. But he's um, he's a very good centre half, and, and he, he will be a good player for the next few years with Zenit. We'll, we'll see him in the Champions League, no doubt. And um, looks like he'll probably finish his career in Russia. So good luck to him. I, I just hope that money that Liverpool are getting it, it does kind of count as some sort of transfer budget because we already know that's going to be stretched. Yeah, you'd imagine it would do. Lovren, of course, will leave Liverpool as a Champions League and a Premier League winner, Dan, and a World Cup finalist as well. So, as Gorsty says, there has been a few lows, but the highs shouldn't be forgotten either. No, absolutely. And I think there's, there's one of the reasons I've got a lot of time for Lovren is that I think there's a parallel really between him and Jordan Henderson in that they've both had difficult times at Liverpool and have had to kind of overcome those setbacks and almost kind of prove themselves again and again to supporters to their own teammates to the to the managers as as Gorsi pointed out you know, he's only played 10 games this season but he actually started three of those critical games in late october early november that really i think were fundamental to you know really cementing the position at the top of the table the the, the win at home to tottenham the win away at villa and and, and the win over city another game that, that stands out in my mind that again his contribution is very much forgotten about just after van dyke signed liverpool beat city 4-3 uh, January 2018, which was City's first defeat of the season, and I think was kind of like a, you know, an important kind of staging post on Liverpool's kind of journey in, in terms of holding City back. Now, Lovren was captain that day, and you know, with, with I remember before the game, people concerned, oh, City unbeaten, Van Dijk not playing, we might, you know, it, this could be a difficult afternoon for Liverpool. 4 3 was the scoreline, if you remember, City only scored two goals very late on in match up fight in Liverpool dominated them that day by and large and, and, and were fought and, you know, and, and led handsomely for much of it. So I don't think he was, he came out with some comments a couple of years ago that he was one of the best centre-backs in the world and he's, he's an emotional defender. I think he's played on that. I think some of his best games have come because of that. I don't think he was maybe ever as good, quite as good as he thought he was, but he was never as bad as some of his worst critic, critics says he was. And as far as I'm concerned, he's played, he's played an important role in Liverpool's uh, rise back to the top, and, and he should be recognised and, and thanked as such for that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more there, really. Sorry, Matthias and Trotter, might just follow on from Dan's point. You know, he took Liverpool to a Champions League final, played in Champions League final, and was probably one of Liverpool's best players that night. And I think that's also forgotten quite often as well, because obviously Liverpool lost. And then you think how he fought back from being dragged off at Tottenham and his mentality in that team. You know, talk, Klopp talked about those mentality giants and he is no doubt one of those. He's a really experienced head. He would have helped a lot of those youngsters coming through. He's obviously best friends in Mo. I think he gives a lot more to Liverpool than what the people give him credit for. Um, but I think, to be honest, he's, you know, he's 31. As Gordy says, he's got a good few years ahead of him. He wants to play. He's not going to play at Liverpool. And, you know, nearly £11 million is probably decent business all round. Lovren's going to go to a Champions League team. He's going to play football and Liverpool are going to get a little bit of money. So I think we'll leave everybody's best wishes. But... He'll leave with um, my well, my best, which is particularly, yeah. Yeah, certainly. And and just quickly, Connor, before we move on, do you think it does mean that Liverpool will have to bring in a centre-back? We've seen Fabinho play there before, but what do you think on that? Well, I know they looked at Ben White, but 
Brighton have said he's not for sale. He's his parent club. He's been playing for Leeds, who obviously been promoted in the Championship. It's a it's a really difficult call. You would hope so. You'd hope they, you you'd think you know, Hover and Vandenberg probably aren't quite ready to step into number four. And as we've seen, various teams without four centre backs have, have struggled a bit. Um, so you'd need someone with a bit of experience. Um, you're probably not going to get somebody of Lovren's quality to come in as fourth choice, and that's the, the sad fact of it. But I think Liverpool do need another experienced centre-back there just in case something happens. I don't think, you know, with the way Fabinho started, especially after the restart in that defensive midfield position, he's been sensational. So why would you move him, really? I know you can play there, but you kind of think, yeah, get a fourth in. So you, you'd, you'd hope so. You'd hope this money will just go towards getting another centre-back in. Yeah, you'd certainly think so. And Liverpool will have until October the 5th, I think it is, the uh, transfer deadline. Before we take a quick look at the, the Chelsea match, the Premier League confirmed today that it will start the new season on September the 12th. Before we move on, Gorsty, presumably that means a two or three week break for the players after this weekend and then straight back at it. That's exactly it, yeah. Someone, someone from the club was telling me yesterday we've got two weeks off and then uh, three weeks um, training. So... The fact that they're already kind of pointing towards next season is kind of proof of the mentality. I mean, we know that they enjoy a celebration in their squad and fair play to them, but they are kind of already tentatively looking ahead to next season, which is um, probably a good thing, isn't it, when you, when you think about it? Of course, they've got the Newcastle game on Sunday, but uh, provided that they're professional, then they should come away from St James's Park with 99 points for the season and then a couple of weeks off, a couple of deserved weeks. Can't really go on holiday, can they? So interesting. You might see Mohamed Salah up in the lakes or something like that. Um, and yeah, and, and then and the back end, back to training. So um, short turnaround. Yeah, very short turnaround. Somebody, Manchester City, I suppose Liverpool will be keeping an eye on as well if they got to the Champions League final. I think there'd be less than three weeks between that and the start of the new season. So certainly something to, to look at a little bit further down the line. We can cross that bridge when we come to it. But to turn to Chelsea next then, Naby Keita, I thought was very impressive indeed, Connor. A brilliant goal. We've been here plenty of times before suggesting that this might be the catalyst. It might be the moment that he ignites. Will it be? I think... The, the thing to note against Chelsea is it wasn't just a flash. It wasn't just a one moment. It wasn't just a one goal. I thought the whole performance for the whole 90 minutes, I thought he was excellent. I think we, he, he pretty much ran the show, actually, in midfield. So I think that's probably a bit of a difference to what we've seen from Cater before. We've, we've seen him have these moments and these runs and these moves. But a whole complete performance, probably not too many. But actually, you think the last few games, I think it was unlucky not to start, Comrade, who was against. But yeah, he's had a few decent overall performances. So... We're back there, but I'm more confident now saying that I really think this is it. I think, you know, he looked really a part of the squad during those trophy celebrations. I think he looks like a real member of this team. He has a role to play. He knows he, he has a specific job that nobody else can really do as well as him. So I think that will give him confidence. And I think, yeah, just to say the complete performances we've been seeing him from recently, particularly against Chelsea, where he was outstanding. I think this is this could be the one where he just kicks on and hopefully just takes that straight into next season. And obviously it's not too much of a break in between as well so it's not going to disrupt his rhythm too much either yeah you'd imagine that he'll start again at the weekend and we'll come to our teams for that game at the end of the podcast but Roberto Firmino Dan ended his goal drought it was never a real issue that he hadn't scored at home but I suppose it would have been a, a bit of a weight off his shoulders given he'd not scored at Anfield in the Premier League for 15 months yeah I mean it was a complete anomaly really because yeah, you know, he has played a very significant 
part in, in Liverpool's season. He scored some very, very important goals away from home, some big winners. But he's never been a player, really, that, sh- that could or should be defined by his goal record. You know, he's, he is the man, really, that, as we've talked about on a number of occasions, makes Liverpool tick. But at the end of the day, he's, a, he's, a, he's wearing number nine. He's a centre-forward. He wants to score goals. And I think you could see, not just in his own reaction, when when he when he when he headed home at the cop end on Wednesday night, but in the reaction of his teammates, how much it meant to all of them, and it was just a lovely little kind of postscript to, you know, what in many ways was almost a perfect night for Liverpool. You know, it was the you know, the end of the day, it was all we could do with a special night with the title being lifted. I think Graham Souness, I didn't actually hear it, but I heard people saying Graham Souness had said before the game, if Liverpool were to be beaten by Chelsea, they almost wouldn't feel like picking up the trophy, which I think <clears throat> is overstating it a little bit, but. Obviously, they've got this incredible home record. What is it? Three and a half years unbeaten at Anfield. Aside from the draw with Burnley a couple of weeks ago, this was the 18th win in 19 home league matches. So it was important to win it. And Bobby getting his, his long-awaited goal, I think, was just the icing on the cake. Absolutely. And, and Gorsty, did that game really send a reminder almost to Chelsea of how far they are behind this Liverpool team? Because with all the sort of trophy celebrations and, and that sort of thing, the actual result almost has been a little bit forgotten. I think so, yeah. I mean, I was saying on social media that Liverpool didn't even need to win and, and they've showed up and scored five against a team who are, you know, third in the league and playing for, for the Champions League place. So um, it, it, it was great that Liverpool didn't kind of sign off on a, on a bum note and really showed up and, and went through the gears because um, it's been a little bit missing lately, hasn't it? I think I think they wanted to make sure that you know that this season ended on a high note at Anfield, and as Dan mentions there, they've also got that home record that they're trying trying to protect. That they dates back to the twenty third of April, twenty seventeen, which predates Mohamed Salah and Andy Robertson, and that's incredible when you think of the success that they've helped bring to the club. So yeah, it, it, I thought it was important that uh, the performance matched the the main events on Wednesday night, and um, it was it was an incredible game. Really, it was on those mad games you get towards the end of the season. Sometimes you see them in the in the League Cup and goals are flying in left and right and it, it could have been more. But yeah, it was a it was an, um, entertaining game to sign off, I thought, yeah. Yeah, really good. And I suppose that brings us nicely onto Klopp's pre-Newcastle United press conference where he admitted he wasn't particularly pleased with Frank Lampard's comments post-match. Lampard not happy with the free kick that Trent Alexander-Arnold struck home, probably fair enough. But then he called... Jurgen Klopp and his backroom team, arrogant. Gorsty, you were on the Zoom call to Jurgen Klopp earlier today and he had a little bit of a bite back at that. He did. I, I didn't expect that, to be honest, when he, he kind of said, he pretty much said, say what you want to me between minutes north and 90 and then we'll forget about it after the game and that's great. Um, and I, I, I love that, that kind of attitude, actually, because it, it happens throughout football, doesn't it? Probably five sides where you, you're calling your mate this, that and the other and then it's all forgotten a full-time. But Klopp did say one thing he wasn't happy about was the fact that Lampard had a little second nibble at full time when he spoke to Sky and of course emotions run high. Um, referee Andre Manon actually said to Matteo Kovacic that you won the ball. So I don't know why he gave the free kick, but from the free kick Liverpool took up their second goal and he's straight from it. Um, so maybe Lampard was a little bit annoyed about that. But um, it was interesting that Klopp did kind of open up a little bit there and say Frank's a young coach, but... He really needs to realise that having a little bite after the game is not okay. Um, that was almost like, you know, he was a great player, Frank, but you're new to this managing game and, and you know, this is, these are the do's and don'ts if you want to be elite level. And 
Um, I thought it was interesting that the way Klopp had a little bite there. Lampard talking as well, Dan, about that sort of arrogance is a little bit rich, given that he was part of Jose Mourinho's best period as a manager too. Well, quite. Um, Ian Doyle wrote an excellent article, uh, comment piece for the Echo site last night, basically saying, having spent as long at Stamford Bridge as Frank has as a player and a manager, he would be very well placed to recognise such a trait. I mean, I think, in, I've got to be honest, I didn't have an awful lot of time for Lampard as a player. I do remember his challenge on Xabi Alonso. Not in terms of his ability, but in, in, you know, his challenge on Xabi Alonso in, in New Year's Day 2005 and just the general way he carried himself. Since his, the end of his playing days, I've, I've generally kind of quite liked the cut of his jib, to be honest, before he went into management with Derby. I think the season we got we got to Kiev, he did a lot of punditry for, for BT Sport. And I always thought generally he kind of talked a lot of sense and came across fairly well. And I think by and large, his first season at uh, Chelsea has been impressive. You know, you, you look like they've got, a, they've got a decent chance of winning... Um, a finishing top four, and obviously they're in the FA Cup final. Another point that that, that Joyley made in his piece, and I think, is is absolutely kind of hits hits the nail on the head. The fact that these kind of things, these that Liverpool and Klopp are now stirring these emotions in other managers, other clubs, are our rivals, shows again that we're that we're a threat, that 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 we're in their heads a little bit. Yeah, you know, we're going to get onto Pep Guardiola's comments about the Player of the Year later on, but. You, the time you should be worried is when your big rivals are patronising you and patting you on the head and saying, "There, there, little Liverpool. We're not, we're not worried about you." They are at the moment. So, uh, I, but yeah, I, 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 I didn't see the press conference today, but I've been catching up with stuff, and I was quite pleased to see that Klopp, you know, kind of like faced Lampard's comments down because I think we can expect a little bit more of this going forward because Liverpool now are up there to be shot at. Yeah, it's yeah Klopp actually you. said, didn't he, in his press conference today that teams are a little bit worried about playing Liverpool now. He knows they're a little bit worried and you can tell that. It's obvious. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Pep Guardiola. We will come to him shortly in those comments, but we'll just finish off, Connor, on uh, the press conference today. Jurgen Klopp also had a thing or two to say about VAR in the Premier League. Some interesting comments, I thought. Yeah, he um, he's not particularly happy with it in its current state and he was saying that they need to see themselves as a team and one unit, a bit more cohesion, um, he's not happy with it, particularly the way it works in England, I think. And I think that probably goes to the fact the referee on the pitch pretty much gets overruled by VAR. And, you know, he's quite right in saying that. That's what it seems to be every time. They're not allowed to look at the on-screen pitch monitors and things like that. So it'd be very interesting to see what comes out of this shareholders meeting about the VAR and what happens with it next season. Um, but yeah, Klopp not happy with the way it's the way it's going. And I don't think you'll find any manager in the Premier League is particularly happy with the way it's been done this season, really. But I don't think that it should be Stockley Park having this all-seeing, almighty control on what they say goes. And and obviously the referees, and Klopp mentioned this himself, the referees on the pitch have a lot to do. And any help they get is, is welcome help and it will help, but it needs to be a bit more cohesive. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important that it was Jurgen Klopp saying that, of course, Liverpool so far in front. It's not an excuse. It's it's a genuine sort of comment from him as well. But uh, we will move on then to Jordan Henderson. We've mentioned him a couple of times in the podcast already. He's obviously won today the Football Writers Association Player of the Year Award. The criteria for the award takes into consideration the player who leads by example. Certainly, Jordan Henderson has done that. But he's also, of course, the, an excellent, excellent footballer. <laughs> Yeah, fantastic season of his life. Um, I mean, I've, I've mentioned this about Henderson before on the podcast. 
perceptions are hard to change in football, and I think he picked up a reputation which is probably about nine years old now from when he joined Liverpool, and, and people people thought he couldn't cut the mustard at such a big club, and he wasn't really up to it. And sometimes that sticks, even though he's gone on to, you know, I I don't know what what other player could have his honour list and his achievements and still get looked at by anyone who follows football as some some bluffer who's not not a player. Premier League winning captain, England international, however many caps he's got. Um, Champions League winning captain, Super Cup, UEFA, uh, Club World Cup, first ever in Liverpool's history. He's, he's almost done a lot as, as a footballer and still you're having people who don't think that he's he's a great footballer. He's a fantastic footballer and he's absolutely perfect for this Jürgen Klopp, Jürgen Klopp midfield that you, know, you need such a specific requirements in terms of ability and, and what you can do. Is he as good a footballer as Kevin De Bruyne? No. Sadio Mane? No. Van Dijk? No. But, you know, does that mean that the greatest player has always won won this award? No, it doesn't at all. I think he he, he deserves everything that he gets. Um, he's been fantastic this season and he, he preferred the accolades, the individual awards to go to Van Dijk or Mane. And I know he would, but they've gone to him and, and he should kind of revel in it while he can because um, he's proven so many people wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, followed in the footsteps of the likes of Ian Callaghan, Kenny Dalgleish, Stephen Gerrard, all Liverpool legends, Dan, who've won that award in the past. But Jordan Henderson is a Liverpool legend in his own right. He is. He is. And I think, as Gorsty says, he's reached that, that level within the Liverpool pantheon, but also you know, within the kind of the general football pantheon, why he's won this award. Because of his strength of character as much as his ability, he's obviously not without ability. He's got bags of it. He couldn't have the career, the games, the goals, the medals that he's got. But from the difficult early stages of his career, and even, you know, I, I think back to the game in, 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 Munich, in Munich last March, second leg of the last 16 of the Champions League. And I was there as a fan. And when, when I heard the news before the game that Fabinho had been left out and Henderson was starting, I remember us all looking at each other going, really? And there had, I think I've mentioned this before, there had been a feeling after Van Dijk came in that in some ways he was the captain without the armband. And Henderson, Hend, you know, Henderson's a very perceptive, shrewd individual. We've, we've all observed that. And there's no way that he won't have gone on to that to some extent. And he's had to kind of almost reinvent himself, prove himself, right, you know, at the time when he's the club captain and an experienced player. I think it takes in, in, incredible character and integrity to be able to deal with that. Now, as it turns out, in in in, uh, in the Alliance Arena, he got injured in the first quarter of an hour, Henderson, and, and, and Fabinho came on. Obviously, Liverpool had a, a massive 3-1 win, which was a huge moment of that season, because I think it was round about that period in February, March, when they'd had four draws out of six, and you just wondered, is the season starting to teeter a bit? And that was the moment that kind of like it got, it kind of got its second win. And it was within, I think, a few weeks of that, that they had this well-documented chat between Henderson and the manager Jurgen Klopp and he started playing at times a little bit further forward and that really I think gave him this this like this renaissance to his career he's got a, you know, a vital goal at Southampton in that big win on the Friday night game and really he's you know he, he the reason I think he's got this award is because he set the tone for Liverpool from the start of this season we've won the Champions League we've finished second with 97 points everyone wondered can Liverpool really kick on have they, you know, have they hit their Everest? Are they going to start to decline now? And obviously, not just Henderson on his own. You know, ultimately, the man, you know, the manager sets the tone, and and, and the the captain 
make sure that that's carried out. But it, it, it's as much for his character as his ability, I think. But it's an entirely fitting choice, and I'm genuinely delighted for him. Yeah, Henderson beat Kevin De Bruyne, who came second, Marcus Rashford, who was third, Alisson, Van Dijk and Sadio Mane, also among those Reds players to get a vote. One person actually voted for Aaron Wambisaka. I'd love to know who that was. But Connor, Mrs. Wambisaka, I think. <laughs> but uh, certainly, Connor, Jordan Henderson, very, very deserving. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, you could talk about Henderson's quality on the pitch until you're blue in the face. The exacting standards he drives from everybody around him, the what he gives to the team, what he brings to the dressing room, what he actually dri- he has driven Liverpool's seasons for the last season and a half comfortably. And then you've got to consider as well off the pitch, you know, all of the noises around the lockdown when all the players came together, do the players fund, or who is leading that? It's Jordan Henderson. It's just so, so much to take into account. And I just, I didn't really think you could look past him because the award isn't just simply about who can put in the best cross or who is the quickest or who is this and that on the pitch. It's, it's just everything about the, work, the, the rounded player. And I don't think you could really fault Henderson for anything that he's done this season at all. Yeah, absolutely. A brilliant season. We expect that the PFA version of the award to be revealed soon. Pep Guardiola, though, as we alluded to a little bit earlier, was not in the best mood this morning as he aimed another dig at Liverpool, this time about those PFA awards. Paul, Pep seems to be a little bit unhappy that Liverpool players keep winning awards, but is he right to be? Can I jump in and say one thing here? Raheem Sterling won this award last year. Fact. (laughs) There you go. He's wrong. I cannot be right because Raheem Sterling won it last year. It's ridiculous. But like again, it goes back to that point, isn't it? There, they're so worried. They've got such a bee in their bonnet about Liverpool. And it's so good to hear. Rent free, isn't it? We're rent free in their heads. He's very clever with it, Pep, because when he's when he's speaking, he's very passive aggressive and sarcastic, and and those tones are difficult to convey, written down. So you read these quotes, and you know you question him. He could say, "Well, I'm just, I'm just." Just being, you know, it's a fact. Because I think what he said is, these awards are for Liverpool. And mate, so basically, what he means is, when they were Centurions, um, the award went to Salah, didn't it? But Salah scored thirty-two goals, record-breaking Premier League season. No one's ever scored that in the Premier League season. Um, the season after, um, Van Dijk won ahead of De Bruyne, and City won the won the title, but they only won it by a point. So it's you know, it's six of one and a half a dozen of the other, isn't it? And I don't think there's anything untoward in it. I think that's just how the the votes have gone. I mean, if Kevin De Bruyne would have won the FWA um, accolade today, I don't think any of us would have too many complaints. And we'd probably say, yeah, fair play, he's had a great season. Um, I think it's just one of them things. I think Guardiola seems to be getting more and more tetchy and wound up by Liverpool and the fact that Liverpool are there at the moment. Liverpool are stopping him winning winning the Premier League, which, you know, I, I think I've said it for a while, football fans should be absolutely rejoicing that this Liverpool team are around because if not, then Manchester City are going to walk everything for the next 10 years. Um, so maybe it's just annoyed that he's got a very genuine rival who have shown them this season that they're better than them. Yeah, the, the Football Writers Award tends to be more about the story and obviously in the criteria it's specifically mentioned about the off-the-field things. That's when you know Connor says about Raheem Sterling winning it last year. That was the exact same reason. 
But Dan, I suppose, unless Pep Guardiola is wrong here, he could end up being made to look a fool, really, because Kevin De Bruyne could still win the PFA Player of the Year award this season. And if he does that, then suddenly he looks very silly indeed. Or even sillier than he already does. Uh, I mean, I've, again, as I mentioned, I'm catching up with stuff, but even Gary Lineker, who has no axe to grind, no affiliation or attachment to Liverpool at all, even he's called Guardiola out for the absolute nonsense that, 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 that he's been saying because these awards whether it's the PFA or the football writers are basically either you know to quote him directly either hundreds of journalists or hundreds of footballers each casting a single vote of their preferred choice to suggest otherwise is silly now as you know I'd, I'd agree with Gorsley if De Bruyne was to get the, the PFA I would have absolutely no issue with it whatsoever he's a he's a, one of the best footballers I've ever seen he's, he's absolutely an absolute joy to watch but also what is, is satisfying at the moment is seeing just how wound up and, and, and how much Liverpool are getting to the likes of Guardiola. And I think a lot of it comes down to the way, comes down to two things, the way Liverpool have gone about their business and the way City have gone about their business. And, you know, obviously, every, you know, as Liverpool supporters, journalists, we have our own view on it. But the fact that Guardiola's kind of, feelings on it are so pronounced make it clear that, it, it, that the general football populace has has a view of how city have gone about it and how liverpool have gone about it we're not going to get into ffp but but it's it, it's it, it there's no that is the reality of it so um yeah if if de bruyne wins it good luck to him but jordan henderson deserves it and you know i think really pep guardiola needs to kind of concentrate on getting his own house in order and re rebuilding his team because as echo columnist john Aldridge just said on a number of occasions this season liverpool have made a mockery of the league this season against the manchester city team who have vastly outspent them and i think a lot of what Guardiola has come out with are kind of old style Mourinho deflection tactics i think it's interesting you say there that um Guardiola needs to rebuild obviously when he spent well over 100 million last summer right. anyway and mm -hmm. it hasn't really come off but i fully expect city to Hunter into the transfer market and go big again because, well, recent weeks haven't been particularly kind to City, have they? The FFP views from everybody else other than City is that they have done wrongdoing, even though they may not have done. And then obviously being knocked out of the FA Cup. And if they get knocked out of the Champions League, they've won the League Cup this season. And that is for a team that spent all that money, for a team that's supposed to be the best ever, that's no real great season to look back on, is it? So it's very interesting. And I think it, it will definitely have an effect this summer. Um, it, it, it can't not, you know, you've already seen what Chelsea are doing. I think City, they're going to follow City. They're the only two teams that we discussed that can probably do it, and I fully expect them to. Yeah, it's not the first time that Pep Guardiola's got a little bit annoyed by Liverpool, Paul. And I suppose it, it begs the question, will Jurgen Klopp ever get drawn in? We've seen, you know, Ferguson and Wenger going at it. But, I mean, Jurgen Klopp is a very emotional manager, but maybe not in the same way that Guardiola is. And I think it would be a little bit of a surprise for me if he ever snapped back and, and we saw this more and more frequently yeah the, 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 the two very different characters aren't they and, and the kind of pen picture of either of them is that Guardiola is very intense and if he had any hair to pull out he'd be pulling out on the sidelines even if they're 3-0 up in a game and Klopp is the one who's laughing through games and cheering on his boys and and playing the, the happy go lucky stuff and that is kind of how it's been the last few years but there is a little bit of a there's a respectful rivalry there between two clubs. It's not not between the two clubs, the two managers. But we did see earlier this season that there was a little bit of little bit of needle between both. And then 
it, it didn't last long. I think it lasted in the build-up to the to game that week. Um, was it was it Sadio Mane was accused of diving, um, and then there was a little bit of that, and it, it came and went quite quickly. But it was there for a little bit, yeah. You don't got a squeaky toy, ghost Yeah, it's, 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 me, it's me three months up puppy in the garden squeezing his toy. So never work with kids and animals, and I'm working with one of them here apparently. It's still celebrating Liverpool's Premier League title win in the background there, but uh... well, actually, I've got to say this: I was interviewing Trent Alexander Arnold on Sunday, was it Sunday? And he spent the entire twenty minutes while I was chatting to him, trying to bite my toes. So that, that was a <laughs> Trent or the dog. <laughs> yeah before we uh move on then just a last question on pep guardiola dan if liverpool and manchester city are going head to head next season is it almost a good thing if they sort of bite each other's heads off at every opportunity and we see these sorts of confrontations or would you like for liverpool to sort of stay out of it a little bit well it's certainly good for journalists if they go at it because it provides ready headlines and ready copy and people want to read uh, them, them having a go at each other. In a footballing sense, I hope that there's, you know, there's a, there remains a healthy element of respect, because at the end of the day, I do, I do think after, you know, maybe what you might say is a, a more conservative era in football with pragmatic managers like Mourinho holding sway for a while, Klopp and Guardiola's belief in expressive, progressive, expansive football ultimately is something that all lovers of the beautiful game um, would appreciate. Um, you know, it, it, it's, there's no getting away from the fact that however, whatever you think about how City have gone about their business, they have um, broadened the footballing horizon in the last decade. I always kind of felt a bit sorry for them for years, having had to share a, share a City with United and living under their jackboot for so many years with United winning everything in sight and City half the time being one or two divisions below them. When, when Aguero scored that goal against QPR... I went bananas. I was I was genuinely thrilled and chuffed for them. Maybe it says maybe that says something about the state of Liverpool at the time. I think we lost one 0 at Swansea that day. Brendan Rodgers' last game there before he took charge. So, yeah, as a fan as well, you want a little bit of edge. You want a little bit of needle. But I hope it doesn't kind of. I hope it doesn't get too nasty because at the end of the day, particularly given the the world, the, the circumstances we're all living in at the moment, football is something that's supposed to uplift people and make people feel good and be a, be a source of positivity. So I hope, you know, it's kept in perspective and a healthy element of respect remains. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that rivalry develops over the next few years. Actually, as we record this podcast, there is some suggestion that the PFA Player of the Year Awards might not take place this year. So it'll be interesting to see what Pep Guardiola's thoughts are on that, given Kevin De Bruyne might not have the chance to pick that up. But we will move on. We mentioned Dan Lovren earlier in the podcast and Connor Adam Lallana is another who will depart this summer. He had tears in his eyes at Anfield on Wednesday night as they celebrated that title win. And he's another one who's played a pretty key role under Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, I thought he was unlucky not to get on against Chelsea for his final Anfield farewell, to be honest, especially when they brought on Minamino. But this is the way the cookie crumbles, isn't it? Um, really nice that Klopp lifted the trophy with him. Um, in front of all the cameras. He is another, and probably even more so, that will go out as one of a really great servant on the clock. He's really well-liked by the team. He's a real character in the dressing room. You know, Gorsty did a thing with Henderson, a piece with Henderson about every player in the in the team, and Henderson was so, so nice, as you'd expect it to be about Lana, but particularly, really, about how much Lana gives off the pitch and how much Adam Lana, how much credit Adam Lana actually deserves, despite what you might not have seen of him 
on the pitch. Although, to be fair, this season he has had a few important moments and a few flashes of brilliance. And, you know, he, he's one that goes out with um, absolute best wishes. And I, think I can't really speak highly enough high praise of him, really. Yeah, certainly have plenty of highlights, Gorsty, for Adam Lallana in his time at Liverpool. And, you know, Connor mentions the interview that you did with Jordan Henderson and some of the, the nicest quotes in there, as, as he says, were about one of his close friends and, and one of that sort of leadership group that, that Liverpool have at the moment. That's going to be broken up this summer. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, he, spoke, he spoke the most about Lallana, actually, which, considering his role in the team this season, you might not expect, but the fact that they are very close friends on and off the pitch, aren't they? Um, that kind of made sense. And, and it was a nice little tribute, actually, to someone who's the partner, and he did say whoever, whoever he signed for this season are getting themselves a top player. So good luck to Lallana. I, I always thought he was a good player. He was a very good player at kind of adapting to Jürgen Klopp's new approach when he first came into the team and was one of the the leaders of the press as it goes. Um, still a very good player. A bit unlucky of injuries. Yeah, a couple, couple of injuries have kind of um, affected them badly and, and Henderson alluded to that and he said, you know how difficult it is to kind of get back in the team and how disappointing it is when you, you're flying and, and then you have an injury. But uh, hopefully he, he does sign for someone who, um, who he can play regularly for because I, I like watching him. He's, he's very good on the ball and, and um, yeah, good, good luck to him. It'll be very interesting to see where he ends up. We still don't know at this stage. And I wonder whether Adam Lallana might get his final few minutes against Newcastle at the weekend. You'd imagine that he might, given that he didn't come on on Wednesday. Steve Bruce actually said this morning he'd quite like it if Liverpool had been partying for three nights heading into this match. But Dan, I suppose Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool will want to finish on a high. And as much as there might be one or two farewells, they'll want to reach that 99-point mark. They will. It would be. Um, it would certainly be a Premier League record after '97 last season, wouldn't it? I, I don't know if kind of like pro rata, it would be an all-time club record. Um, they'll want to go. It would be an all-time Liverpool record, yeah. It, it would be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would very much imagine. So, well, yeah, and <laughs> no one would pretend that since, well, certainly since the title was clinched, what four or five weeks ago? It feels like four or five years ago now. <clears throat> that obviously some of the results and performances have wavered a little bit. I think we almost saw a return <clears throat> to form and I'm almost like even at the start of what they're looking to do next season. It's almost like they've got it out of the system now. Now they've actually had this this long hiatus between winning the league and actually getting their hands on the trophy. They've got the kind of business heads on. Uh, so yeah, I would I would I, I agree. I, I hope that I hope the Lana gets a game out. Lovren get, gets a run out on <clears throat> on Sunday at St James's Park as well. Um, maybe uh, maybe we might get another look at Curtis Jones and Nico Williams. But Liverpool will want to go and win, get 99 points and put down a marker to everybody else that, yeah, we've won the league, we've won it in style and watch us go next season because we're not standing still. And we have, no one's made too much of it and probably rightly so because at the end of the day, they're not even really on Liverpool's radar at the moment. But Liverpool have now... When Liverpool last won the league in 1990, they led Manchester United by 18-7 to 7 in leagues. Obviously, and until a few weeks ago, it was 2018. Now Liverpool have reduced that gap to one. If Liverpool win the league next season, they will be level. So that's another little factor which I think will be maybe in some supporters' minds, probably not in Jurgen Klopp's mind. But uh, yeah, we'll all be looking and hoping for three points on Saturday, on Sunday. 
Yeah, it's been a fantastic season. It'd be nice to to finish it with the three points. Just before we come to picking our teams for the final time this season in just a second, Ghosty, do you expect a few youngsters to be given a chance? Maybe Lovren or Lalana might be given a farewell or will Jurgen Klopp just go strong? I, I think he'll, he'll go as strong as possible, actually. I think they will want to kind of supersede the points tally of last season. Um, it'd be strange if Liverpool won the, the league this season with a point less considering that they've absolutely walked home this season, um, point less than what they got last season. So I, th- I think he'll, he'll stay fairly strong. I think the, the chance for alarm is probably gone with it not being in Anfield, and he'll, he'll be wary of not getting injured uh, for his next contract. Uh, Lovren, I don't, don't really see him being involved either, unless it's off the bench for an injury or whatever. So, uh, And there's Veneva next door with his power drill, so it's gone well this podcast, isn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it, I think it will be fairly strong again, and, and Liverpool will look to, to finish on ninety nine. They couldn't just quite grab the the one hundred, but uh, ninety nine doesn't sound too much worse, does it? No, whatever happens, it will have been a fantastic season. We'll come on to our team selector for the game at St James's Park then, just before we finish. And Connor, we'll come to you first. Talk us through your goalkeeper, presumably Alison Becker, and then your back four as well. Yeah, no question. Alison is is in goal. Um, although I know if Theo was here, he'd be chomping and pining <laughs> for an Andy Lonigan appearance. Um, it'd be interesting to see if Liverpool are four 0 up and he's on the bench. I don't know. You never know. But we'll see. Alison might want that golden glove. Mm, although it's probably gone, isn't it? Actually, isn't it? Uh, so anyway, Alison in goal. We'll start there. Um, from the team that I'd want to see, uh, the team that I want to see is really strong. So the team that I want to see is. Trent, it's Robertson, it's Gomez, it's Van Dijk, the team I think he's going to pick. I have a sneaking suspicion <laughs> that Van Dijk's going to be rested and Lovren's going to play with Gomez, but that's just me. Interesting. Your thoughts on that, Dan? It's a possibility, but I suppose the same principle that Gorsley mentioned there in terms of his proposed move. God forbid he goes over on his ankle and, you know, it, it all goes off. So, yeah, listen, I've said... I, I've, I've always been a big fan of Zegzi Lovren. I'd love to see him soaring at the far post to plant a header into the net to finish his career with a goal similar to his, his Dortmund header, which will forever be one of my, in my absolute top drawer of Liverpool memories. But I would, no, I, I, I would be surprised. I, I think it'll be the regular back four. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and Gorsty, are you with us there? I am, yeah. Uh, full out. Yeah, so I think we're, the common consensus there among us, Alisson in goal, Trent, Gomez, Van Dijk and Robertson. In midfield, plenty of options. I'm going to go with Fabinho as the number six, Gini Wijnaldum and Naby Keita alongside him. I think Naby Keita simply has to retain his spot after his performance against Chelsea. Dan, we'll come to you first on this one. Your midfield. Um, hard to argue with that. I think yeah, Fabinho has been, I think, along with Naby Keita, both of them have, have probably had as successful a post-lockdown quarter of the season, whatever it is, as anybody in the Liverpool squad. I think you know, that if you were doing like almost little you know, reports for on each player, those two would be right at the top. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go with those two. Um, I'm going to throw Curtis Jones in, um, give Ginny a rest, hopefully persuade him to sign that new contract, because I personally think a new deal for the Dutchman could and should be one of the most important deals that Liverpool strike this summer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we certainly don't have time to go into that today. But uh, Gorsty, your midfield three for the weekend? Yeah, Keita has to start, doesn't he? I thought he was fantastic the other night. The game's outstanding player. Fabinho, as Dan says, it's hard to kind of overlook him and his, his performances of late. And then 
It's just a case of maybe Milner or, or Wijnaldum, either or. Probably Wijnaldum against his former club. Um, obviously plays in a different role to what he did at Newcastle, but uh, probably give him the nod. Well, Milner against his former club as well, last season. But yeah, Wijnaldum for me. Okay. Yeah. I'll go with Curtis Jones with Cater and Fabinho. Um, I don't feel like Newcastle have got the ultimate firepower team. Um, they've obviously got St. Maximum, who looks their biggest threat, and he's down the wings. I think in the middle of the park, you can probably get away with Fabinho holding and a bit of Curtis Jones arrogance and some Navi Hater attacking and just go at them. So, yeah, that'd be my three. And I presume, Connor, the, the front three is just going to be the usual Salah, Mane and Firmino. Naturally. It can't be anything else, can it? And everyone is going to agree with that, I think. Salah yeah, screaming yeah. to score five and catch Vardy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would certainly be some result. The final thing then, we'll move on to our match predictions. I'm going to go for 3-1 to Liverpool. I think both teams will score and it could be entertaining, but I'm backing the Reds to get over the line. Gorsi, you first on this one. What do you think it's going to be? I can't see Newcastle scoring, never mind. I don't think they've got, as um, Connor says, I don't think they've got too much in the way of firepower, so I think Liverpool will win 3-0. And Dan? 4-1 Liverpool. And we'll finish with Connor. Yeah, 3-0. Just don't think they've got the... Uh firepower up front to get past that Reds defence. Wins all round then for Liverpool and we will see of course what happens no matter the scoreline it's been some season for Liverpool that is for sure. That though is all we've got time for on today's Blood Red podcast from Paul Ghost, Connor Dunn, Dan Kay and myself Matt Addison. Thank you for listening and it's goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.